we uh, are uh, venturing into some really pivotal couple of months as a church. So we come off 112 baptisms last week, which I don't know if you've been around church much, but that just that does not happen to churches that are over 30 years old very much. You'll see that sometimes. Yeah, it's just it is so cool, you know. And, and I, I uh, like many of you, you know, bars, restaurants, and churches were really affected by COVID. There's 12,000 Methodist churches, for example, that will not open their doors in our country. As it, you know, just, I mean, just shutting down, can't open back up. And COVID killed our church in many ways. It really did. I mean, you may not realize it because we, we kind of kept things going. Last year was our most impactful year in terms of helping the poor. And... Um, and then it resurrected it as a new church. What, what Satan meant for evil, God uses for good. That's what he does. He turns crosses into gold necklaces. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, it's just really been an amazing thing because, you know, like you, for a year, I've been gripping and biting about things all the time, you know, and, and, and here God's at work to do something that is, uh, you know, amazing. And then, I mean, I, I just... I just stood there last week, and somebody said they took a picture, and I'm, I'm, and one of the pictures, I was like, you know, because I am, like, this is amazing, you know, like, this works, like, the gospel still works, and uh, so we're coming out of that, and into uh, next month, and I want to be very upfront that this is to, to prepare, this is, this series that we're starting today is celebratory and preparatory. It's celebratory that scores of you have lived this, what we're going to teach on. And I want you to just receive the affirmation of the Holy Spirit. We have, we have single moms who, gave, who have given up pizza so that they can contribute to God's cause here. So I just hope that that single mom out there who said, I'm going to give up cable and I'm going to give up pizza. And I mean, you're getting serious when you do those two things, if you ask me about Jesus, and uh, you're getting serious, and, and I just hope you just feel the Holy Spirit going, you go, girl. You go, girl. Because uh, we just reduced our expenses down to their bare minimum, and then uh, tried to be as efficient as possible, and our fiscal year ends September 30th. Our fiscal year goes from October 1st to September 30th. And it's amazing. It's, it's because of you, we will end the fiscal year 2020, 2021 in the black. <laughs> by $7, by $7, <laughs> but in the black. And it's really amazing. And, I, and you know, as, as you'll see today, the history of God's movement through his people being faithful through generosity is something to celebrate because that's how they did their parties and I, I want you to know that. Here's the other thing, is in October, we're gonna unveil these amazing plans to turn this and our atrium in the small theater into a place where for kids, for students in arts, academics, and athletics, six days a week, there is a safe place for them to deal with the pressures they're under. Are you excited about that or what? And I, I mean, we're gonna have, I think it's going to be our church's biggest impact, what we do for families and students and coaches and et cetera, to just say, we're gonna meet you where you are. I had the opportunity last week to do an interview, or we're, you're gonna hear from a bunch of people, but I just do an interview with Jordan Hobbs. Jordan uh, played at Springboro, and, 
And uh, now she, today, she's, you know, yesterday uh, she was at the University, she's at the University of Michigan. She's going to play basketball for, for Michigan, and, which shows that things don't turn out exactly the way you want them to turn out. But, uh, but I just celebrate what she's doing because, uh, as Jordan, you'll see in her story, she had a major mental health crisis uh, last season. And just through the relationships and players box, she worked through that and just told her story in a way that's so powerful. Uh, yesterday, I sat down with Josh Myers. Josh, you know, played at Miamisburg, and, and then he went on to Ohio State and uh, had an amazing career. Uh, he's getting ready to be the center for, oh, by the way, the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, and, and, and so Josh and I sat down yesterday, and you're going to hear his story. You cannot believe what he's been through. I knew Josh when he was that big, three years of age. He was that big, you know. <laughs> And uh, I just, I'm just, you know, I know, you know, I know Brad and Julie are listening. Uh, Randy and Ronnie were here last hour. And, and I'm just, we're just going to come around. Every dancer, every math kid, every, every volleyball player. And we're going to say there's a place where it's safe. We don't care if you're all state. We don't care if you win a medal. But there's a God who loves you and made you just the way you are. And there's a reason for that. And I... I just, you know, I'm looking at Gerald and Janice sitting over here, Gerald Parker. Gerald is, you know, the first common police court judge in Montgomery County history. And I get to see him sitting at a table with four middle school kids during player's box, using his uh, gifts uh, to minister. And so we're going to do that six days a week. We're going to take this building, using it one day a week in here, and we're going to turn it into a place that's six days a week for students. And so I wanted to be very upfront that this series is to celebrate I think we made it through COVID. I think we made it. I think we survived. Oh my gosh. And then prepare us for what I think God's going to do through us. And I'm going to be the oldest student pastor in the, in the world. Uh, that's, I'm going to be the oldest student pastor in the world. Now, let me dig into this because um, the, this represents our church. And, and, and the church is so much more than a logo and a brand. Uh, Monday night, Sherry and I, went to our hometown, actually we went to Heath, Ohio, which is a suburb of the metropolis of Newark, Ohio, and uh, we, we were invited because Sunday morning, Rita got an email from one of my friends from high school, Jim Brooks, and Jim said, hey, we're having a meeting uh, for our class reunion that's coming up September 25th. Now, I graduated in um, 2000, and... Uh, <laughs> No, I graduated in 80, and it was supposed to be a 40-year, did I say that? 40-year anniversary last year. It got canceled because of COVID. And Jim said, I I'm inviting you. Uh, and it was, he put this tag on. He said, I wanna we want to hear about your calling, and, we and you're going to want to hear and my story with God. And I, I wasn't a practicing Christian in high school. Jim, uh, you know, probably, I don't know, I mean, he wasn't either, really. I mean, he, and uh, we went Monday night and, and uh, at the BW3s in Heath, Ohio, seven of us, eight of us with Sherry, Sherry went with me. It was, you're going to see a passage of scripture today that it was living that out. Right? You know, we, we just, there was just a media bond that went way deeper than just we were fellow graduates of Licking Valley High School class of 80. It was in Christ. And uh, Lydia, our class president, Lydia Shin, she brought up that her stepdaughter had, who 4-0 student, all-American girl, had run away from home recently uh, and was, was lost for four days. 
And just she shared that. She just said, this is, you know, uh, it was just a remarkable story. She was found. But if you're a parent, you know that four days could be 40, right? Your child's lost. It's just the pressure's too much and all that. And then I shared our story, which you're going to hear about next month. Some of you have never heard our story, which then caused Jim and Donna Brooks to share their story of Jana's trying meth one time. And there's no trying meth one time, is there? Today she's a counselor for 20-some young women who are in Christ now and in recovery and all that. It's really neat. But, I mean, you talk about a bonding that happened within the kingdom of the Savior. Right there, we prayed. And if you'd have told me 40 years ago that I would be praying with some of my classmates, if you'd have told them that I would be praying... (laughs) Because <laughs> some of them are still like, really? Really? This is, you know. And they watch. They watch us online. It's really an amazing thing. And it is, it, is, it is because when you say, I'm throwing my life into the kingdom of the Christ, here's what happens. You begin to experience the rich, not that. Here's what happens right here. You begin to experience this rich history of a God who does not need our lives. He doesn't need our time, talent, and treasures. But he calls us to it. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why he calls us to it. And that's why we're calling this series The Tipping Point. Because if you really want to grow in faith where this is worth it, there is a tipping point in your faith. And that tipping point that shifts, Jesus talked about the tipping point, really, when he said some words we're going to see later, that tipping point happens when you go from tipping God to tithing. To this, this mystery of the tithe. And so today is about just, I'm going to give you some history of God's reasoning for the tithe. Look at these words. They're introduced in Leviticus 27. God says, he says a tenth. That's what the word tithe means. Now that's striking. If you're an American, you are an average. You give two and a half percent to charity and you think I'm pretty good. I mean, if you do, like if you get two and a half percent, it's like, whoa, that's a lot of money. And the richer you get, the more that two and a half gets bigger. And so then God comes along and he says, a tenth. A tenth of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is wholly to the Lord. And, then, and what it means was, all of it God owns. But the first of the month, the very first thing you do, he says, basically, he's telling them, you write the check to me. That's what you do. You, it's, it's, I'm going to teach you some things, and that 90% is, is better than 100% that you will enjoy 90% a whole lot more than you would 100%. So he introduces this. There are three reasons why he introduces it. One is to support the priests and the Levites. This would basically be what we call a church, a ministry. So 112 baptisms do not happen without people I'm looking at right now who have been faithful to this church for so long. And if you do not celebrate those 112 before today, then today you're going to celebrate those because you're a part of that. You made that happen. This is the principle that God gave. We're going to create these synergistic movements of people 
who are collectively generous. And so that way, I don't get the glory, you don't get the glory, God gets the glory. And this is what he says. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting, creating these gathering spots where 112 people may respond to my message. The second one was sacred celebration. And this is great. Do you know why God had them tithe? And this is related to the first one somewhat, is they had seven feasts of celebration annually where they said, in the name of the God who is generous to us, let's potty hotty mighty. That's what they did. They just celebrated so much God's goodness, and which is cool for us because we've always seen from our Sunday gatherings to everything else, it's just a Jesus party, and we're going to invite other people into the Jesus party we're throwing. That's, that's the way we've always seen this. We're going to do a Jesus party the way, we, the way we think we'd like it, and may there, be, may there be some other people who would like it too. So he says, Deuteronomy 14, 23, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that, is, that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. So the one thing that they were to do was to bring it all together so that they could throw a Super Bowl party and just say God's good. That's not a Super Bowl party, but it was kind of that stuff. Number three is this is really cool, is that God was building in a generous movement that always took care of those who were less fortunate. So share with the poor orphans and widows. And this was a tithe offering that was once every three years. It was so enormous that it could last three years. At the end of three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Their heart was to be for those who were without homes and were being transported to, to their nation to embrace them. God was always reaching out beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. And the orphans and the widows, the people who couldn't bless them back when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all you commanded. There are going to be people who you will meet in heaven, and they, they didn't know until you got there and you, they got there that you are a part of their journey. And this is one of the cool things about being in the movement of God's generosity through his body, the new Israel, the church, is that we have no idea how many people we're impacting. We have no idea. You, just, you really don't know the impact of your life. That's why when Revelation talks about those who die in the Lord from now on will not receive their full reward yet. You know why? Because your life's not over yet. The effect of your life just keeps going on and on and on. And this is so cool because Israel was distinct from all other nations in two ways. One way was they were monotheistic. They believed in one God. And that was rare because every other Canaanite nation believed in multiple gods. Other thing, they were the only nation that intentionally made themselves less wealthy that this tithe introduced a concept where they would intentionally decrease their wealth. Now, that's important in America because in America, your worth is determined by your wealth. And so for someone to intentionally make themselves less wealthy than they could be is to say, that's not my scorecard. That's not my scorecard. 
You can sing it, you can say it, but when you start doing this, you start putting into play a statement that is so huge. I, I, um, I have up here the two tools of spiritual transformation are the only two tools you really need in terms other than people. I ha- this is the New Testament I've had since 1986. Last year, I finally gave in and had to recover it. Isn't that a wonderful job of recovering this New Testament? I, had to, I bought some leather and recovered it. And uh, it's got tear stains in it. I mean, this thing has been with me through funerals and weddings and, and such. And then that's one tool. It's just been amazing. The other tool is this. This is, next to the scriptures, the most powerful spiritual transformation tool. Because when you get intentional about taking that which America treasures more than anything else, and you say, I'm going to willingly decrease my amount of this, you have a freedom that other Americans don't have. You are free to enjoy what God blesses you with in a way that is remarkable because this is no longer your measuring stick. It's no longer how you determine your worth. Now, if you find that hard to do, it's because in America every day we're told this is, this is you know, what, what are you worth? We don't mean a God died for you on the cross and that's, what you're, that's not what we mean. What we mean is how much this do you have? And when you intentionally, like Israel, leverage that back to God as a starting point, then you're, you're being free. Now, here's, here are two people in this room today. So I know this. I know this is uncomfortable, isn't it? It's uncomfortable. But only if you don't understand what I'm about to tell you. It's only uncomfortable for those who, there's one of two types of people that you are. One is, is the person who's here and their money flows out of what God says in the scriptures. So that's one person. That, that everything you do financially is, it flows out of how God teaches financial management and which begins with the tithe. That's one person. And so you're gonna walk away from here going, okay, I'm gonna keep, we're gonna keep doing this. The other person is the person that your money takes precedent over that. That this is subjugated to this. And so that's where all the tension happens because because you maybe have fallen for our culture's values that this is what measures your worth, so this has to go first. This is really uncomfortable. Let's, let's show you how, how uncomfortable it is. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and somebody you don't know, and ask them how much money they make annually. <laughs> no, don't do that. Right, don't do that. Why? Because I mean, oh my gosh. Can you, would you believe a place? Because, right? it's, it's our measuring stick. And God comes along and he says, I'm going to build into you a plan that frees you from all that. Now, this was never meant to be legalistic. It was never meant to be, if you're at 9%, God is going to have to work to turn his frown upside down with you because he's really unhappy with you. It was never meant to be legalistic. I've, you have to, I've had this used. So I've been a tither in a, my journey since eighth grade, 1976, February, 1976. I was sitting on about the third of the last back pew at Licking Valley Church of Christ, and it was Faith Promise Sunday. Some of you ever remember those Faith Promise campaigns you did to give to missionaries? And I remember I had committed $5. 
Now, if you sniff at that, you don't understand what five bucks was to an eighth grader in 1976. And I remember I had committed $10, or I committed $5. All I had was a $10 bill. It was a day to give our offering to our faith promise commitment. And offering plate comes around, I got 10 bucks. Do they give change at these things, right? I mean, that's what you're thinking. Do they give change? And they didn't. And I, I'll never, I mean, this is where my journey started. I gave $10. And, and the next day, my grandma, Christine, from Lubbock, Texas, had, had not sent our Christmas gift, which was always a $10 bill. And the next day, it came in the mail, a $10 bill in the mail. And I, just rem- I still remember going, whoa, what's up with this? Something's going on. Now, you know, as well as I do, that this principle has been abused. Just tithe to God, and he's going, as I always say, turn your cataract into Cadillacs. You're going to be blessed, and, you know, God will take care of you. I was behind a car this week that was a very late model, very expensive car, probably a six-figure car, and it had a vanity plate that was uh, uh, M-A-G-A. Now, you know what that stands for a very distinctive political leaning on this late model car. And I looked at that and I thought, now that guy's a tither and his car gets keyed. He cannot say to God, God, I tithe and you didn't let, you didn't take care of me. You didn't take care of me, God. You let my car get keyed and I've been faithful. You can't do that. I mean, if you're going to have, ooh, boy, a very, see if it was possible, the room just got less comfortable than it was a little bit ago. You can't just say, God, I'm tithing and you should bless me and all that. No, no, no. That's not what this is meant to be. It's not meant to be some legalistic thing that if you put in the code one-tenth that the ATM machine called God is always going to put out what you want, when you want, how you want. It was never meant to be legalistic. It was never meant to be a way to pay our debt to God. As a matter of fact, tithing is paying forward. It's, it's God has already blessed. And so God, I don't come to you with an agenda. I don't come to you for blessing. Tithing was, has always been, here's what it is, a training exercise to cultivate a generous and God-centered heart. How many of you remember training wheels? Yeah. How many of you... I'm, I was curious, how many of you are dry, are, are you have one of those trikes? Anybody have a trike? I think this is so fascinating to see adults on tricycles. You know, the motors, you know, Randy and Sue Ann Kramer have one of those. And I was, that was so great. But how many of you remember training wheels? What are training wheels for? Until you can ride on your own, until it's natural for you to ride a bike, you need training wheels. When are you done with training wheels? When are you done? It's when it's holding you back. Is now your brain has actuated to riding with balance and et cetera. And when you have gone beyond that and it's actually holding you back, that's when you, dig, that's when you ditch the training wheels. That's the tithe. If you understand that, you understand the tithe. The tithe was never meant to be the end thing. It was meant to be the beginning and it was meant to train us in money doesn't own me, money doesn't own me, money doesn't own me. Leon Festinger is a Stanford professor who did this, this compar- social comparison theory thing where they, that every human being deals with this. Every human being in this room deals with this. So we have a social comparison reality going on in America that's really strong. When it comes to morality, we tend to compare ourselves to people less moral than us. 
So what do we do? We don't compare ourselves to Mother Teresa. We compare ourselves to axe murderers and drug dealers. Well, I'm not too bad. When it comes to money, social comparison theory, we tend to compare ourselves to people who are wealthier than we are. That's what we do. So I'm not really not that rich because so-and-so, they got they got this. And what happens with social comparison theory when it comes to finances is when you compare yourself to the people above you, which is the American way, it tends to increase greed, I need more, and decrease compassion. God knew that, and he said, I'm going to institute a plan that will eliminate that. You'll actually increase in compassion and decrease in greed. It will not have control over you anymore. And this is not about if you're really super wealthy, this applies to you. This is for all of us. By the way, if you're on welfare in America, you're in the upper 5% of the world's wealth. So this is something that I'm wealthy. I am wealthy. And I, ha- I needed this training program until I could just ride the bike of generosity on my own. Now, there's always a, there's always a, a question that comes with this. Number one, well, then how do I do it? Am I supposed to base it on the net income or the gross income? <laughs> See, that, again, that's getting into the legalism of it. Well, I always say, if you, do you want a net blessing or do you want a gross blessing? I don't know. I mean, what do you want? All right? But that's getting into that, isn't it? Like, if you're thinking that, you're going, you're, you're thinking about how, what's the minimum I can do? Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's, you're thinking of it wrongly. Tithing's never meant to be a, a, a ceiling. It's meant to be a, a ground floor where we start. We work toward that so we can say, okay, I'm being trained in this. The second question is, isn't tithing an Old Testament concept? Aren't we under grace now? And yes, in the sense that we, we're not legalistically required. I'm gonna show you how this compares to the Sabbath in a minute. But you'll never hear... You'll never read in the New Testament Jesus saying, well, you know what, guys? Now that we're under grace and I I fulfilled the law, uh, ditch that tithing idea. Ditch that radical generosity. Never do you hear that. You know why? It's because he knew, like Sabbath, that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. His life actually showed the tithing life, just pouring yourself out for the generosity blessing of those around you. Uh, there's a famous passage on this, Malachi 3. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? So the people in that day, they were, they were getting like, why, why would we do this? Why would we be a part of this tithing thing? Why, why would we do this? We just keep it. And God says, you're robbing me. How are we robbing you? Tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. It's the only place... Where God says, test me. See if there's not an intervention over time in your life where you look back and go, oh my gosh, it wasn't just the scriptures that God used to grow me, it was salary. It wasn't just, it wasn't just the content of scripture, it was cash God used. Why? Because that's the one thing that lets you be your own little God in America if you have enough of it. And he says, I'll, I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing, there will be not enough room to store. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now again, you can abuse that, and it has been abused by preachers in polyester suits. But, but, you are sitting close to people right now. If they could, they'd stand up and say, listen to this. This has been the factor in our journey that says there is a God and he is good. 
There is a God and he is good. It is the tipping point in a person's journey. Like I say, you can sing, I love Jesus, yes I do, I love Jesus, how about you? But when you start taking the thing that can make you your own little God, if you have enough of it, and you intentionally decrease it, now we're getting someplace. The, the, the principle of tithing is to our possessions, what the Sabbath is to our time. We don't, we don't, we're not legalistically under the requirements of Sabbath in the first century before Jesus came. Do you know that the Pharisees had come up with 735 ways that you had to, you could break the Sabbath. So they had, they had little laws, ways you could break the Sabbath. If you, if you wore false teeth, you were breaking the Sabbath because you were carrying a load. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And they, and they, and they tithed off their pepper, basically. Like if you got, you got a certain amount of pepper, you had to give 10% of that pepper to the Lord. I mean, it's crazy. And then they were corrupt. And then they were uncompassionate. And it just, it, 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 it's totally this legalism thing doesn't work. Just like Sabbath. If you don't put margin in your life, is the Sabbath principle still true? Just, just go ahead. Work hard eight days a week. Never take a break. Never give a day to the Lord. Never rest your soul. Never have a day that no, does not belong to the world. It belongs to God. Watch what happens. You'll find out the Sabbath principle is still true. And here's the thing that we learn about the tithe. 90% and then some is better than 100. There's only one way to learn that. It's to test God in that. To test him in that. And over time, you'll begin to see, that's the reason why they were so joyful. You see, God doesn't care how much money you own. He cares about how much money owns you. And when, and when you get on this plan, you begin to see this is the pathway to freedom. Gary Moore wrote a book called The Ten Golden Rules of Financial Success, and it was about Sir John Templeton, one of the most famous mutual fund investment counselors in history. He was American-born, but he was a British investment counselor. And he concludes his book about Sir John Templeton by quoting Templeton. In all my 52 years before I retired as an investment counselor, we were helping people, literally hundreds of thousands of people, with their wealth. And all those years, there was only one investment which never proved faulty. That was tithing, giving at least 10% of your income to churches and charities. In all my history, I've never seen a family who tithes for as long as 10 years that didn't become both prosperous and happy. That is the best investment anyone can select. And I'd like to say that that's an exaggeration. It's not. There's something mysterious about the tipping point of when you go beyond tipping God to the principle of tithing that just trips your soul. It, it changes you more than it changes the people who are the recipients of your generosity. You see, God put the tithe in Southbrook so that you and I would be good at being rich. That's really why he did it. He didn't want to just, just be rich. He wanted to be good at it. And some people are rich. Ever know someone who's rich and they're not good at it? They need more and they need more and they need more. They use people to get things instead of using things to bless people. And people like that are going to meet a God someday who doesn't really value money in and of itself. He values people. What's going to be your story? Were you good at being rich, at being blessed. Jesus 
said, uttered some words that, that should express this concept. Don't starve for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Don't just, you know, don't just keep spinning the resources. I'm, a, I'm an efficiency addict and I tend to, to just try to stretch things out. I wish I hadn't been that way because it really affected our church in a, in, a, in a not good way. So I'm, I'm one of those, I'll use a Dixie cup for like a week. Are, you, are anybody else here that way? Or are you going, yeah, he is really weird. Uh, that is really weird. But I'll do that. There's, there's an old story. It was in Reader's Digest one time. Guy's going out for a jog on a hot summer day. And he's, he's getting to the, close to his house. And he's glad to see that these two boys have set up a lemonade stand right there in their front yard. And he swings by. And he's got some money in his pocket, you know. And he, he puts a dollar out there for the quarter drink. He keep the change. And they hand him a drink. And, oh, he chugs down the lemonade. And he starts running off. And they go, hey, mister. We need that cup. And he goes, ha ha, you're going to use it again, huh? And they say, yeah, we've been using it all morning, he said. You know, so what are you going to do? You're, gonna, you're just going to, you're going to, because someday the Dixie cup, it's, it's not going to be worth anything. It's not going to, it's going to wear out. Don't, don't, you'd be crazy to invest a thousand shares in a stock of a company that you know is going to go bankrupt someday. But. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Thieves break in, do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why he set up the tithing training. So that we would understand that we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. And when we do that, our, our soul goes heavenward. We start treasuring the things that God treasures Randy Alcorn said this, consider the implications of this offer. We can trade temporal possessions that we cannot keep anyway to gain eternal possessions that we cannot lose. This is like a child given a chance to trade bubble gum for a new bicycle or a man offered ownership of the Coca-Cola company in exchange for a sack of bottle caps. Only a fool would pass that opportunity. And it's really cool because there are so many of you that, that, that there's that quiet peace and satisfaction in knowing 112 last week you have a part. And I'm looking at some of you right now. I just pray that, that you hear the Holy Spirit saying, you go girl, you go guy. Because you're rich in what matters. You're rich in what matters. Now, our church is not done yet. We believe our greatest years are ahead of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and our celebration of 112 stories of people saying, I want Jesus to be my leader, to be my savior. I want the hope that I have been buried with him in baptism and raised with him to a new life. And the truest thing about me is the spirit of Jesus at the core of my being and that we all get to celebrate that and then we're a part of a church where that's happening. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for, in the words of what Mark told us, that Jesus said, whoever gives, whoever gives anything for me, whether it's homes or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers, will not fail to receive a thousand times as much in the present age and in the age to come eternal life. That literally, there are some of us here right now that are part of a family that is hundreds of brothers and sisters. And we've literally seen that happen. Why? Because we took you up on, we're not just tipping you, we are tight.
tithing our lives to you. We're giving everything we can to make your kingdom real in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say.